0: hallelujah hallelujah amen we thank god for another wednesday and another opportunity to fellowship with him and to learn about him and to grow in our christian life it is the grace of god that has brought us this far and we are really grateful for it amen amen the lord has been good to us the lord has been good to us In the sixth month of the year, we are almost done and we are alive and it is just by the grace of God. So this evening, I just want you to say to yourself that with my soul and all that is within me, I am going to bless the holy name of the Lord and I will not forget his benefits this evening because you are alive. The Lord is good. We are alive. It is by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Bishop James and Pastor Justine Hansen Saki, I want to welcome each and every one of you, especially, to this evening's midweek service. If this is the first time you have joined us, this is Christ Church International, and this is our midweek service. Today, we have another edition of our Get Understanding services where Bishop James uses scriptures to answer all the questions that we have. It is not an accident that you are here. If you have any questions, please post them on YouTube, Christchurch HQ, where you are watching this, or you can send us an email to get understanding at Christchurches.com. God has something for you. Get understanding at Christchurches.org. Apologies. God has something for you this evening. So when any question drops into your spirit, don't keep it to yourself share it, and let Bishop answer it with the help of the Holy Spirit and help all of us to learn. Amen. Amen. So this evening we are continuing the journey that we've been on for the past two weeks, and Bishop will be answering some of the questions that we have received so far um, on the scriptures and on life in general. So keep the questions coming. Bishop is here as always. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. The presence of God is here. It's not just a question and answer session. It is God ministering to us. So let's take advantage of it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So we'll go right into it and before we start, as always, please help me with some shouts and emojis and claps and dancing and screaming and laughter and joy as we welcome our very own Bishop James Hansen Saki to this evening's Get Understanding. Amen. Amen. Thank God. Thank you very much, Papa. It's You're always welcome. a pleasure for us uh, when we have Get Understanding uh, because we always learn a lot and we are very grateful that you are here once again. Amen. Thank you so much, Papa. Thank you. Too. You're welcome. Um, okay.
1: Let me just finish something else.
0: Today. Whilst we are waiting for Bishop to okay. um, kick off, remember to send out the links to your friends and family and invite all everyone that you know to come and join us and let's learn together. Amen.
1: Amen. It's a blessing again to come on for this wonderful session. As I've always said, there are times Jesus preached to the crowds, there are times he preached on the streets, and there are times he sat and he taught the people. Uh, In fact, one of his first preachings was that he borrowed Peter's boot, sat down, and he taught the people. So I'm sitting to teach, and, uh, and the Bible says, and they came to him and asked him many questions and he answered them. So the forum is also biblical, and we thank God for that. Let's all pray this evening in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for your presence, for the grace you have given to us, for the anointing, for the power of God, for the blessing, the mercies of God that has seen us through the day. And we commit this session into your hands. We pray, come and teach through this forum. In the name of Jesus, inspire the answers. Holy Spirit, Jesus said when you come, you will teach us all things. I submit myself to you that every question that comes, you will be the one that will answer through me in the name of Jesus. We pray that this atmosphere be charged by the power of the Holy Spirit. We bind the influence of satanists, witches and wizards, demonic powers in the name of Jesus. Every ill wishes against the service, we bind and cast it out. And Lord, your word declares that on a day as you taught, The power of God was present to also heal. I pray that tonight we experience manifestations of your power as your word is taught in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, With your permission, Papa, I'll just go right into it now.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So last week we started off in the Old Testament. Mm. And uh, this week we are again starting off in the Old Testament. The first question that we have says that why did so many men of god mm. um example solomon david jacob and abraham mm. have multiple wives in the scriptures and yet there didn't appear to be any consequence or judgment from god is that something that we have to learn or is that something that we have to pass by <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a very loaded question it's a very legitimate uh, biblical question um, it falls under uh, practical theology questions these are things we have studied about god and then in practice we realize that some things show themselves up and sometimes people have tried to gloss over it because it appears to be a difficult question um the question of multiple wives yeah, of course that brings us that single word to describe it polygamy and the questioner is asking whether Um, why did this happen in the old testament and especially with the great men of god that we read about from abraham and jacob and uh, david um, and all of these patriarchs we see that they were having multiple uh, wives and it appears as if god uh, was turning a blind eye or is it something that we can also practice in our day Um, there have been people as we read the bible that one of the first arguments in support of this is that these were men of god and god didn't find anything wrong with it and then there has also been the point that throughout the bible you can't find one verse black and white that says thou shalt not marry more than one so they make a case out of that Um, and so Uh, these things come up there are many societies and communities and cultures that also don't find anything wrong with polygamy Uh, and most of the time also they try to go back into the old testament and try to justify it that why did god allow it if he had a problem with it Um, the first premise for answering this question is that allowing something is not the same as approving it allowing something is not the same as approving it and in answering this very age-old question um, there are three at least three questions that we need to answer to answer the question and the first thing is why did God allow it The, the second thing is how does God view it today and if his view of it has changed why did it change and when we are able to find an answer to these three it would have legitimately and biblically answered the question and so if we take it from the first point as to why did god allow like i said allowing something does not necessarily mean approval of it Uh, we are told that the lord allowed an evil spirit to attack king saul Uh, it doesn't mean god approves of the ministry of evil spirits but he allowed so just like every parent you agree with me that there are many things that sometimes we may say yes to or just allow it doesn't mean that our heart is with it but if you keep on insisting that you want to go out at 9 p.m and we said no and it keeps on and on sometimes you'll be okay you can go but it is doesn't really mean that i want you to go now in the old testament and in the ancient cultures you find that they were very patriarchal that is men were leading society um when everybody gets married there were still a lot of women who were not married and so sometimes because of the patriarchal society if i'm taking you back to history and to the cultures that precipitated these sort of things you'll find out that in those cultures even if you are reading the old testament you see the more of male dominance than female names now women were kept behind and therefore in many of these societies women were uneducated they don't they are not breadwinners they don't have careers they depend on either their father their brothers or their husbands And at a certain point, men had to marry more so that they would take care of that societal pressure on women to protect them. Because at a certain point, it's either your father is going to protect you or your brother will have to protect you if you don't have a husband. And most of those who don't have husbands end up in prostitution, et cetera, to fend for themselves. And so some of these things became cultures in those days. And sometimes God overlooked, but it doesn't mean that he was giving his full approval to them what will constitute his full approval will run through the scriptures as we will see uh, shortly but you will find out that this is some of the cultures that um, allowed these things to happen and so it was a culture then you will find out that in the case of Jacob it wasn't he who wanted another wife it was he wanted one uh, the, the man told him that their culture Laban said their culture says. That the youngest cannot marry when the oldest is not so the oldest was given to her him and then he had to work extra for the one he wanted and he ended up with two and before you realize he has ended up with four you find that it was the same culture in those days remember those cultures didn't know god until abraham even though there was adam there and he knew god and taught the generation after him until he passed then we had got noah and all the others that came along and after Noah, we have Abraham coming into the picture. Now, these cultures and these societies were marrying more than one, anyway. Um, and and if you find out that that was the reason why Sarah even suggested to Abraham that go into my slave, and that is still as me. Uh, so you have got these sort of things playing. out. the first man to marry more than one is in Genesis four, who is Lamech, um, and so we see throughout the scriptures, these things were showing themselves, but we have to now go back and see that if God allowed this, does he really mean his full approval? What was his full approval? How does God view it? Much as we will not see it black and white as people say, you know, I don't see it there that God specifically by his word says thou shall not marry more than one. There are many more scriptures that point out to how he views the marriage he actually instituted. Um, and i've always argued back to say the fact that it is also there it is not there in scripture that you shall not sniff cocaine (laughs) are you going to justify sniffing of cocaine because you didn't find it in the bible even though it's not there in the bible just like tobacco we have got many scriptures that we can use to prove that god does not approve of such things Uh, and so when we go back we see these things are there they are descriptive but they are not prescriptive for us to follow now back to the next question on on answering this question and that is how does god view it we can see god's view by looking at what we call the whole counsel of god what is the whole counsel of god from genesis to revelation if we look deep into his written word which is a reflection of his mind and his will we will see it playing out right from the very first marriage it was to eve adam then it says, for this purpose, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be cleaved to his wife. And the two, see, it can be three, two shall become one flesh. This is God's idea. And when we look into the scriptures, we find that in the New Testament, Jesus was asked a similar question and he took them back to the beginning again. And he said, from the beginning he made them so and so it was to a man and his wife and um, when we run through into the new testament we will still see that especially first corinthians chapter seven which teaches on marriage you'll find that paul said i think maybe let's read verse two. First, corinthians. first corinthians chapter seven and the verse number two um i i should be right on that one
0: 1 Corinthians 7 2. Mm. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man shall should have sexual relations with his own wife mm. and each woman with her own husband. Amen. Amen.
1: So you, you Look at the words being used here. This is now in the New Testament. So much as it may appear as if polygamy is, there's no scripture that says, thou shalt not be married to more, you see that the Bible view, which is God's view, is pointing more to monogamy than polygamy and here right there in the new testament as to how god sees marriage you will see in it clear paul under the influence of the holy spirit is writing to say in order to avoid sexual sins let each man have his own wife and let every each woman have her own husband that means that the woman in your life should be your own and it can be another person claiming so if, if I'm married, another woman should not say that he's also married to me. Uh, because that is exactly what Paul is saying. You should have your own wife and have your own husband. That means that the scripture is expecting something like that. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I think Titus um, 1 or Titus 3, the, the scripture mentions the fact that um, in terms of church leadership, one of the qualifications among the 16 qualifications to be a church leader is that he must be a husband of one wife again if if the prescription is for many then the scripture would not be saying this and before you think oh but that is only for church leadership basically every church leader should first of all be a christian i have always believed that the qualifications for the pastor listed in first timothy three is the qualification for every believer because why should the pastor be above reproach and for the believer they must be under reproach um why should he be a man who is you know not lasting lasting after wealth uh, who is not greedy uh, who has his home under subjection who knows the word of god all those things it's applicable to everybody who becomes a christian this should be the standard qualification for every mature believer and so if it is put there that it should be a man who has one wife then that means that this is what is being expected of the church. Um, So when we come to how God views it and whether anything has changed, at best, if he allowed it in the Old Testament, it should not be seen as if he is now changing his mind over something he's allowed. But actually, he's now restoring what was supposed to be the original. Remember, he's almighty. If he wanted to set us a template of marrying more than one, his sovereignty, his power his omnipotence will mean that by the time adam woke up he would have seen two women or three but it was to one there are certain things that happen in society that makes it become culturally allowable but it doesn't mean that it is the position of god probably finally i've got a lot of things to say on this but another scripture that proves to us is the um ephesians 5 22 to 33, uh, verse of scripture that teaches also on marriage, and you will notice the singular use of words there, like you know, let the wife be submitted to the husband, for the husband is the head of the wife, um, and then when he goes down, one of the most interesting things that to note there in that scripture is that Paul said the concept of marriage and how it is applied is actually a revelation of the relationship that exists between christ and his church now we are told that christ is the head of the body which is the church he says wives submit to your husbands just as the church submits to christ now so that means that the relationship between christ and the church is similar to the god concept of marriage that is between a man and a woman and it is between a head and a body paul actually said it there he said and i speak concerning the mystery that exists between christ and his glorious church now if that is the case you realize that polygamy would tear the scripture apart because there is only one body of christ there are not many bodies of christ one body of christ and if the body of Christ and Christ's relation is similar to the template God said by using the marriage institution, then you realize that it is one head to one body. You cannot be the head of different bodies. So if I'm married to more than one woman, I am the head of more than one body. And that is not a normal body then. That is a very odd thing to have, to have one head that has three bodies. Jesus, the body of Christ is only one and it has one head. In the same way, the marriage institution has one body, the woman, and one head, the man. So if we look into the scriptures, we will see that God's view of marriage is always one man to one woman. Whatever happened in other cultures, this is exactly by reason of cultures that didn't know God before. And then also others have argued that it was to uh, fulfill the scripture of be fruitful and multiply. So it makes it increase the human population very quickly since one man can make 10 women pregnant within one day Um, and so they will all be able to give birth within nine months and increase the population but those are human concepts God's silence as to why he allowed it does not actually confirm that he actually approves of that besides we know the consequences that also happens Uh, Solomon loved many women and married many women He ended up with 1,000 women, out of which 700 were his wives, and 300 were his concubines. Um, Whenever the Bible uses the word concubine for any of these patriarchs, they are actually wives, but they are wives of a lower status. In those days, class matters. So they were not just girlfriends. They were actually wives, but they are wives of a lower status. That is why they were recorded. So it's it's important to see that yes, Solomon did this. But if you read the scriptures well, there is also a very clear instruction. I think Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 17. Uh, maybe we we may need to read that um, to to help us uh, address this very uh, thing as well. I, I believe it should be Deuteronomy 17. yeah i think verse 14 there are 14 to 20 deuteronomy 17 14 it's yes deuteronomy
0: mean? 17 14 to 20 mm-hmm. when you come to the land which the lord your god has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say i will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me mm-hmm. you shall surely set a king over you whom the lord your god chooses one from among your brethren you shall set as king over you And you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself amen
1: amen so look at God again this right there in the old testament says that even the king of his people should not multiply wives does that tell us therefore now so when Solomon if this is the law of God that they should not multiply wives and Solomon becomes king and he multiplies wives times a thousand um, he is breaking God's law so the fact that it is being god is watching does not mean that he's approving it and um, so it, because he has made his mind very clear this were my instructions for my kings so he may not be happy with them but just like he created all of us he may give a rule but we have got to make that decision and there were consequences solomon had consequences eventually he bowed to Baal. Bow. he consulted he milled images for all of these things and his home was not at peace i mean all these patriarchs that we are talking about there wasn't peace in the home even when 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 sarah allowed uh, hagar to come into the picture there was trouble in the home eventually there was such a bitter rivalry that uh, sarah suggested that the other woman should go and when abraham went to check with god god said yes let her be sacked Did you see that god is not approving of two he said no hagar should get out sarah is the mistress of the house Now then you say, but God, why did you let her become pregnant with Abraham's child? Yes, God said, I promised it was going to be between you and Sarah, but you allowed it. Once you put my process in motion, I am God. Just like he gave us free will. Some of us do stuff we shouldn't do. And you and I know God didn't want us to do it. But the fact that he still allows us and we can still stand and lift up holy hands in church doesn't mean he approves of what we have done. So in the same way, we can't use that to justify that's because this is happening in many cultures then that is the case but when we look at the bigger body of scripture the whole counsel of god you will see that the point of marriage goes more towards monogamy than polygamy let me end here otherwise i'll i'll continue to speak for six hours
0: (laughs) thank you very much bishop um if you have just joined us bishop has answered a very big question for us um, about why we have men of God in the Old Testament who had multiple wives. And it appeared as if the Lord had allowed it. And Bishop has explained to us that allowing something does not mean that you approve it. And um, when we look at the scriptures from, um, throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we see what the will of God is concerning marriage. And in the beginning, he created a man and a woman. And he said that the man he put the man and the woman together, Adam and Eve. As Pastor Emmanuel has said, he did not add an Evelyn. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. And we also see that the people who married multiple wives, um, they did not have peace in their homes. So if you want peace in your home, stick to the one person that the Lord has given you. And if anyone asks you that they haven't seen a scripture that says you shall not have multiple wives, Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen, it's there for you. Amen. 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 Um, so thank you, Papa, for that um answer. And I am I have another question that's linked to this one, so I will go right to that as well. So it says that if a man has multiple wives, and becomes a Christian and sees the light and the truth of God, what is he supposed to do?
1: glory be to jesus amen and this is where are all my pastors <laughs> these are the things that you might see in church uh, and it's a practical theology question again these are the practical things so we know that scripture from what we see god's mind on polygamy now the question is saying that if someone becomes a christian and is already in a polygamous marriage and he has more than one wife and he comes to church and is now born again what do we do <laughs> i know that the straightforward response from many um, zealous believers who want to protect the scriptures will be he should divorce all his wives um, but let's look at it i think there will be three ways of approaching this first of all we have seen in the scriptures god's mind um, if this person becomes born again and he comes to church Now he has multiple wives. Is all of them going to accompany him to church? What does he do? Um, I believe that three things will happen. The first thing is that we must, first of all, also understand that even today, there are many cultures where polygamy is illegal. There are many countries in which polygamy is illegal, there are other countries in which polygamy is not illegal. So when we have such a situation, romans 13 tells us that we must be submitted to the powers that be the government authorities we must obey them the only provision we have in scripture to defy government is anything they are telling us to do which is directly in contravention of the word of god peter and john did that with the council that brought the lord that says they cannot preach they told them that one we will not be able to obey that Uh, but for the rest they wrote to say we have to obey now so the approach will be once the person is born again the first step in dealing with this matter is if he is convicted because as pastor you will have to explain to the person that this is what the bible views this to be Uh, you may have done this in your ignorance but now that you have come into the faith what do you do with the three wives that you have and the children now it's not very easy in such matters uh, because you have to ask yourself if he's to divorce any of the wives who does he divorce the first wife or the last wife or the one among the three that he loves you know sometimes it's very easy for people to say it's the first wife but our point also from scripture has also shown to find out from him actually which one did he love because we we will not prescribe who you should divorce but the point is that if that we come to that point there must be one of them out or two of them out and leaving one so but we all know that jacob ended up with four women and indeed it was only one of them that he loved and it was not the first wife because his first wife on paper was Leah. and so if sometimes somebody does that and actually he's not in love we live with the first one sometimes something happened that is why he had to marry the first one but that's a matter for him as pastor as christian as a leader the approach to this, we've seen this before. So I'm speaking also from experience, apart from uh, the biblical approach, uh, is that number one, he's spoken to, the scriptures are made clear to him, if he's convicted and the land in which he operates also has a law that forbids polygamy, then he's supposed to divorce all but one. Divorce all of them except the one you love that's the one you stay now it's a lot of work for him to do because he's not just going to get up to the house and say i'm not born again now get out now you have to do that double work of sitting down and explaining to each of these your newfound faith and your belief and conviction in the word of god that you feel convicted that you are in error now you divorce them but you must maintain them in terms of their maintenance and any children that came along, you are not supposed to shake your responsibility on them. But you must you maintain these women, you are not supposed to be sleeping with them because you'll be committed adultery. Now, so that is the first approach. The second approach will be that this explanation is given from the scriptures, and he doesn't still feel convicted, then he stays with them. But that person is disqualified from any level of church leadership according to the scriptures in first Timothy chapter three and the third uh, approach is if he's in a place as I said and there is the law so so the second approach where he's not convicted if he's not convicted at all but there's a law in the place that says polygamy is illegal he's supposed to follow the law because he's a Christian now he must follow the law and still divorce them and leave only one because that one is the law of the land in a place where the law of the land does not frown on polygamy and he also does not feel convicted that despite all the biblical explanation, he still doesn't feel anything. Then he carries on like that, but he cannot occupy any leadership position. Now that tells you how God views this. If this is, we see it in the Bible in First Timothy 3, uh, in Titus 1, 6 and other places in the New Testament that qualification for Christian leadership, is based on if you are married, one man to one woman that tells you this is God, that this is God's view, then you know, and in that case, but then who who becomes a Christian grows in, and then only when it gets to being a leader in the church, then you are disqualified because of marriage. That means that we are expected from day one to be married to one anyway and rise and grow through. So this is the approach. There's a three-part approach which I have have explained unless you want me to summarize it again but I, I believe that we've we've gotten the concept so that we can we can go on yes please uh,
0: thank you very much papa um i have one follow-on question to that all right okay. so you know the scripture that says that when you divorce um uh, when a man divorces a woman they are not supposed to get married again otherwise they commit adultery mm. so through no fault of a woman uh, her husband has found christ mm. maybe um, when he shares with them um, she maybe also comes to know christ right but she's not the loved one so she's divorced by the man mm. is she able to marry again
1: yes she'll be able to marry again because you see there we have to look at the technical reason why they are being put away that's from god's perspective the whole relationship was immoral the whole relationship was illegal in the sight of god Mm. so actually they being together as far as god was concerned were not originally married anyway so actually technically she is not married she was never married you know in in the view of god Uh, and so that is how that is how this sort of relationship i mean we had a a case like that in in a particular church in which i was deeply involved but uh, you know the man became born again and 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 one of the wives also became born again and she came to the same church (laughs) and it became a difficulty because the man was worried someone else and it's it just it was a bit of a something but yes these things will will happen Uh, But this is a practical way if we are looking at it what is the basis by which now that he has found christ he's putting them away Mm. that means we 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 were wrong in the first place to come in so this is not recognized by god in the first place so that means that actually in the sight of god this was no marriage anyway in the first place at best it is we were committing sexual sins Mm. and so if you are now free uh, that frees the other person
0: thank you very much papa so we've had a lesson in practical christianity and yes. um, these things are not very easy to handle so, so thank yeah. you it's thank it's you easy very to much
1: it here, but <laughs> in the real case it calls for a lot of diplomacy tact, while still holding on to the value of the word of god depend standing on the right of the word of god mm-hmm. to to get things through it's not easy it's, it brings a lot of stuff the children themselves and everything but God's word must stand if we really want to see one of the reasons why we haven't seen the move of God and the power of God is that there are too many compromises and human opinion trying to you know find its way to justify certain things and therefore render the word of God as if it's not relevant. But if we want to see God, let's obey God,
0: amen. Amen. God's word must stand, and if we want to see God, let's obey God hallelujah amen. Amen. amen so we will move on from um polygamy mm. and we'll go on to our third question which says why doesn't god always heal
1: <sighs> um, that's another tough one because we are not always in his mind even though we are told that we have the mind of christ but it is a very serious question because it has got a lot of implications and on the faith of people. sometimes it, it can affect even those that are supposed to be matured, especially when healing does not take place. Um, there are many scriptures that tells us God heals. I am the God that heals you um, by his scribes. We were healed. Jesus touched many and healed them. The Bible says that we shall lay hands on the sick, the sick will recover. James 5:13 says, if anyone is sick, let him call the elders of the church, let them pray for him, anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So these are all things in scripture. But I want us to understand in answering to this question. Which really also answers quite a lot of other questions in that direction is that God expects us to pray. He expects us to exercise faith. But I want you to understand, He only answers prayers according to His will. I think first John 5 tells us that you know we we are sure that He will hear us when we pray according to his will when we pray according to his will first John 5 I think uh, 14 first John 5 14.
0: first John 5 14 now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us amen See,
1: if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and one of our first legal approach to to go to his will is to pray what he has made revealed in his word because you see your words reveal your mind and indirectly reveal your will so we go to him as first principle take his word to him which we believe is his will but within the will of the written word that we take to him there is also his prophetic and sovereign will that means that even though it is there in my word that i want to heal I may choose not to heal you for another reason which would be solely his own um, and sometimes it's been important for this teaching that many people sometimes who have not received healing uh, may have been you know treated as if they didn't have faith uh, but it, it doesn't mean so there are people who have great faith and God did not heal them and it's not because God is incapable of healing but he makes the final decision whether he wants to heal So it is true, we will act, we must continually pray for the sick. We must continually believe God to heal us, but the final healing will still come from him. You know, there was a man who was born blind in the book of John, I think chapter eight or chapter nine. And when Jesus saw him, his disciples asked, who sinned? Is it his mother or his father? Jesus said, this one, neither mother nor father sinned but this condition is there that will bring glory to God. So for all you know, right from birth, God has projected 40 years ahead that his son will walk the streets and this will be one of the demonstrations to prove he's the Messiah. So for all these years, priests may have come, John the Baptist may have prayed for him and he didn't see. Jesus came and did it. So there are people that um, may not be healed and it is not because God doesn't want to heal. In fact, if we go into the scriptures, you'll find out that At the pool of Bethsaida, Bethesda, at that pool, there was only one man who was healed. There were many invalids there. The Bible says an angel comes once in a year and stares the water. So there were a lot of people lying there. Only one person gets healed. Those who jump into the water gets healed. When Jesus went there, he healed only one person and walked away. In Nazareth, the Bible says he healed only a few sick folk because, of course, the people didn't believe in him, but he healed only a few. Um, And one day when he was accused of something, he said to them, there were many lepers in the days of, um, you know, Elisha, but only Naaman, the Syrian, was healed. And there were many widows in the days of Elijah, and only that woman of Zarephath. So when we look into the scriptures, it is God's plan and desire to heal. But when we pray to him, and we can exercise all the faith i have found out from the word of god that he alone exercises that right to heal us that should not make us lose confidence sometimes he doesn't heal so that he will use that condition to glorify himself there are many miracles he can do healing is one of them but if he's not healing it doesn't mean he doesn't want to sorry it doesn't mean that he cannot but he will not for whatever reason everything must be according to his will sometimes we are praying but it is not his will to heal us mm-hmm. he wants to use it for something else and if we look into the scriptures i think first Corinthians Paul had a situation like that he had a, a physical ailment a medical condition and he said he took it to God remember this Paul he ministered one time in the book of Acts that the bible says that aprons and handkerchiefs his body, people took it home and it healed every sick you are praying. Maybe his will and he will heal. And if he doesn't heal, doesn't mean that you don't have faith. You see, we must stop making people feel that they don't have faith. In fact, if you there were people around Paul, in fact, first Timothy 5, the scripture tells us about um Timothy, and Paul, his spiritual father, wrote to him and said, Because of your many frequent sicknesses the infirmity your regular infirmities that means timothy has been falling sick often and and that means that spiritual father knows the physical state of his people he has a relationship with his sons and daughters and knows certain medical conditions in their lives etc and he wrote to him he said don't take any water drink a little wine we know he's not recommending alcohol under any circumstance because if it's often stomach infirmities how, how, who, who heals stomach infirmities with alcohol now but my point is not even the prescription being given but the fact that timothy was having regular bouts of sickness why didn't paul come and lay hands and cast the thing out maybe he has done it and timothy was not being healed and yet they were still working for god In fact, in one of the scriptures, I think in Timothy, he also wrote and said, I have left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Trophimus was one of his mighty men around Paul. He said, I left him sick. Paul didn't lay hands on him to cast the demon out or to heal him. He may have tried, but at that point, it may not be the will of God. So he doesn't leave Paul. But this is the Paul we are talking about who also goes out and many sicknesses are healed cripples walk all kinds of things and yet his people around him and no wonder he has got Luke the physician around him Uh, at one point he says Epaphras almost died and that God had mercy he was sick he said for indeed he was sick but in order for God to deliver me from having sorrow upon sorrow the Lord had mercy on him and kept him so there were people around Paul who fell sick and anointed man of God could have laid hands on them he would have done it and maybe God did not heal them, but he goes to lay hands on another person and God still heals. So we mustn't stop that God did not heal us. And we mustn't oversimplify the ministry of healing so that when it doesn't happen, we just accuse God or we just say, no, God God is not to be blamed. It is you that don't have faith. Church, some of the people who have not been healed, they have great faith, but sometimes God will use the situation to bring himself glory later he told paul that the reason why i left this disease in your body is so that it can humble you because there are many revelations you are walking in that you can leave the earth and i move you to see the third heavens and see things that humans can't explain and i bring you back to the earth these things paul there must be something that should humble you i mean if you look at some of our church history and great revivalists of old um one of them charles finney You've read about Charles Pini, great man of God. He preached. There were miracles, healings. And some many times, right after finishing from the pulpit uh, on the crusade grounds, they sat in tents and ministered to hundreds, thousands of people. Miracles, real tangible, creative miracles. People who were born, whose eye leaves is not opening, they will pray, and Charlie you will know, minister, and this eyes, the eye will just pop. And yet after every crusade, his asthmatic attack will happen. And he will be taken to his room and sometimes throughout the night. And he's got a prayer warrior called Father Nash. And he will be interceding. And and such men of God. And yet, they were sick. And God could have But the next time he comes on day three for the crusade, between the time of the crusade, he's strong. Healings. He finishes, he gets back. He has his attack. Uh, sometimes god knows what he's doing but it is within his will so it is not that you don't have faith let's continue to have faith and pray and believe god and let's leave the decision to heal to him at least the greatest miracle of healing is healing hearts that have been corrupted by sin and turning them over to salvation that one is still taking place up to today
0: Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that answer, Papa. I've, I've heard this question asked a number of times. And um, almost all the times I've heard the question, the answer has been that uh, because we are not exercising our faith. Uh, because Christ said that the things that we have seen him do, we will do even more. So if we are not healing people through our prayers, then it means that there's something that we are missing. So thank you very much. So Bishop just explained to us that God doesn't always heal um, because he's sovereign. He expects us to still exercise our faith and to come to him in prayer. But the final decision as to whether you be healed or not always lies with God because he knows what he's doing. And it's always to his glory. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 are moving on papa um the next question i have it says when the scriptures say out of the belly shall flow rivers of living waters what does it mean out of
1: your belly shall flow rivers of living waters Okay. okay bear with me I need to clear the airwaves so sorry for the break in transmission we, we are back um, the question again please
0: out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water what does it mean when the bible says that
1: okay so what does it mean when the bible says that um i think that's um john 7 37 to 39 jesus uh, made that statement from john chapter 7 Let's, let's read that since this is a teaching service in a different format, at least. Let's read it so we can see the context. So I think that the answer is there in the verse 38 um, or so.
0: John 7:37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, Will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen.
1: Amen. So it's very self-explanatory. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Um, And Jesus has used, and of course the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is an indication that we have eternal life. Um, He told the woman at the well, he has always used the the metaphor of water to to explain uh, life because we know water is a symbol of life Um, and so jesus said out of their belly or out of their heart shall flow rivers of living water and then the scripture went on to explain this thing he said is a reference to the holy spirit who those who believe in him should receive and he says for as yet at that point he was not yet given. the Holy Spirit has not been poured out and um, again that's why when we read about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit the words pour out is used. We only pour liquid, we pour water you know so it, this time it is not just a well, but this is a whole river and um, so that means that you're you receiving eternal life, which is the manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer at a higher level so when it says out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water it's referring to the ministry of the holy spirit in the life of the believer who comes in to give them life but then also not just life when jesus said abundant you have it more abundantly that we also begin to operate in the power of god for the work of the ministry so the fullness of the ministry of the holy spirit is what is being referenced here when jesus said out of their belly out of their heart, rivers of living waters when the holy spirit is inside you rivers of living waters which is the holy spirit in us and when you have rivers flowing in you which are living waters you'll be able to pass it on to others so the holy spirit in us enables us to to pass on the life of christ to others around us when a river bursts its banks every part of the land where it moves will have a benefit of its presence and it may water the land it may make every dry ground become fertile it will cause seeds that have been lying dormant to germinate so many things will happen when there is an outflow of the holy spirit and so the scripture itself is self-explanatory where it says this is what he meant by that statement. 38 confirms that. So, that that is the
0: answer to that question. Amen. Thank you, Papa. You're welcome. So, that was um, talking about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, We are moving on. Okay. I have a few ministry questions that have come in. All right. So, we are going into ministry now. Right. The first one says... um, there's one about burnouts, but I will skip that for now because we talk, we spoke about burnout uh, two last. last week. Yes, so I'll skip that for now. If there's time at the end, I'll come back to it. Um, have you? So this is a bit personal, Papa. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt inadequate when it comes to fulfilling your calling or purpose? And if so, what are the practical steps to overcome this?
1: So that's a personal question to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, <laughs> have I ever felt
1: inadequate? inadequate? inadequate Mm. i I wish the questioner was here (laughs) 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 to get because they um i i i I don't really feel inadequate um, because i know that it is the power of god by which we work Mm -hmm. so
0: and Can I maybe, maybe it's too, so yeah. we we know that you've spoken about how young you were when you started doing the work of Christ, right? Okay. And h- how God revealed what He wants you He He's calling you to be and oh, to right. do. Okay. So at that, for instance, at that very young age when you saw and and uh, heard these things from from God, mm. did you feel? oh yeah inadequate did you feel unable to do it so inadequate
1: in terms of the size of what you are being asked to pursue yes Yes. that is that is normal with everyone and that is why when you look into the scriptures uh, most of the genuine men of god seems to want to come up with reasons to run away from the calling because definitely you feel so inadequate the vision of god if it is coming from god will be mightily bigger than you and so in that context, yes, even, even now, there are, even as we are praying, there are things that um, I'm jotting down that we have to be doing. And sometimes I look at how is this going to be done? Um, even the kind of personnel you need to run what what is putting in my spirit for us to run, uh, you know, churches to be planted, uh, leaders to be raised, so many things to be done and various programs for us to embark on you will feel very inadequate but i from experience at every face of the ministry where this has happened i have to go back to the place of prayer so the practical thing to do is to go to the place of prayer uh, it is at the place of prayer that we get transformed to be able to handle the thing when we go to god daily consistently with the matter that is overwhelming us about the assignment he has given to us it is there that he begins to reveal the way out that is why we can't take out prayer you know sometimes um, prayer doesn't necessarily change things the prayer changes you so you can change others but it's in that place of prayer that god takes absolute control and then begins to speak to you or anoint you to handle the task it's one thing to hear him say something it's another thing to avail yourself for him to use so in my experience that has been the approach um, i do remember when it was clear he's calling me to start a church and i was still a student so i was like but how is it going to happen you know how is this even going to be possible even when i came to england and it was very very clear this is what he said i should do i was asking but at that time i don't know anybody at least there were only three people at least i know and they they don't look like people that will come to church so i you know you feel inadequate true but then you have to now go if it is about church planting etc i have to go into waiting and indeed some of the things that he's telling me to do i know now from experience that i have to be withdrawing into into waiting and seeking him for the grace the clarity the understanding the strategy It's one thing he speaks is another thing seeking him further for him to equip you to handle it and to show you god is a strategist so you realize that when he first met moses at the burning bush he said to him i'm asking you to go and tell pharaoh let my people go it was later on as moses kept going back to him that at every face, he would tell Moses, go to the palace, throw a rod down. But when he met him at the burning bush, that instruction was not there. So there, there's a detail within the plan, but that comes from going to him. And so when he does that, it then begins to encourage you. And it shows you how you are going to set this up, how you're going to handle this. But the mystery of prayer is that when you go to him in prayer, you receive that strength to do it. So I, I believe that prayer is the, is the beginning point. Every other thing I may say to you mm-hmm. will be as a result of what I received from prayer and began to implement. Mm-hmm. And, and, and therefore they became like, oh, we do it this way and that, but actually it may be customized to, to our church. Uh, but that, that is the beginning point. It is always the beginning point. That inadequacy means that the thing is bigger than you and you feel overwhelmed by it. And this is tough. How are we going to get this done? How am I going to start this in this place alone? How can I be one person starting this church alone in this place, on this campus, in this place? But there is a way to do it, and and it is in that place of seeking God in prayer, and I've seen it work out. Even in our church in Kent, it's the same instruction I gave to to my son to be doing the same thing I gave him. I know it's tough, but that is how it's taking off times of prayer at this time get up and deal with this and handle this prayer topic at this time four times in a day space it with your if it's a university campus or like what we're doing that is a way i have to do it so there's a specific assignment fasting regularly times of prayer at certain times of the night certain times because you are breaking the ground and and gradually i started getting the response of what we got a reaction from the powers of darkness i said yes so carry it on at the same time Pray this one add this to it add this to it so it was a big mission and it is overwhelming for a young shoulder but then you guide and say this is how to deal with this and then gradually it started taking off as like what's going on here it's it's because something has been sown for several months in prayer and then suddenly we see a germination and so when anything overwhelms us which will make us inadequate we have to retreat to the place of prayer to receive instructions. This is why Moses at every face was called up the mount. Receive fresh instructions, fresh covenants, and then come and carry it. Because many mistakes of many pastors, especially pastors that receive instructions to start churches, is that they receive one instruction on their um you know burning bush experience, and they think it is enough to carry the people to the promised land. It can cut you out because when you carry that first covenant that first covenant is to deal with the enemy in the pharaoh when you move to the next phase and all the ministries are in phases when you are moving to the next phase you have to come up to mount sinai receive fresh instructions because you can not traverse the wilderness with the covenant of the burning bush because this time the enemy is not in the pharaoh the enemy is now in the people with you in the wilderness you can't deal with them like the way you dealt with pharaoh so there are stages of ministry and phases of dealing with every stage in ministry departments there are faces but in leading church there are faces and it is always to retreat get instruction, and move it forward. I don't know whether I've answered the question with so
0: many things I have said. (laughs) Yes, you have, Papa. Thank you very much. So um, whenever there's a task that is bigger than you, you will feel inadequate. And so it's okay to feel inadequate, but it's not okay to remain there. That's right. You have to go to the place of prayer where you receive strength and be transformed to be able to and carry the assignment forward so uh, papa you mentioned that in the bible we see so many men of god who seem to want to look for excuses to run away from the assignment because it's it's um, too big for them Mm -hmm. in our day sometimes in church we see people who almost running towards certain things certain positions certain assignments does it mean that they don't see the enormity of of the task if other people are running away from it why would somebody be running towards it do you do you understand my question? yes
1: yes i understand the question I, I feel that it is the there is we have to admit that there is there is a big error or mistake in the body of christ that needs to be addressed and there's something fundamentally not right with our discipleship um, see many people see men of God and their whole drive is the picture we see at the front of the man of God mm-hmm. and he's standing in the pulpit and there's a crowd and there are people and the title you know and all of those things because they don't understand the enormity of the assignment it is not celebrity type of thing it's not what we are wearing before we wear the suit we should be suited in the spirit this thing is warfare that's why the scripture says in hebrews that no man takes this honor on himself except he that is called by god called by god means that you are equipped by god to withstand certain things it is the it is the beauty of the front you know and the way you know ministry has been glamorized that makes you know a lot of people just think yeah me too i want to get there and all of that um if you know you are given any role to play under an anointing you will do well you know as one great man of god said if you have sat in the church for two three years and you haven't preached and one day the senior pastor say you are preaching this sunday you will definitely have a message to preach Mm -hmm. And when you preach it will come out very well too and people will admire your ministry but you'll find out that it is totally different because you is one off so you have a lot but it's another skill grace anointing and unction all together to preach regularly every day and every week with a new message you'll find out that there's a difference there Mm -hmm. now so when people hear that they they feel like they have also arrived or people me too i want to be let it be that. It is a genuine move and a desire to serve God, not the glamour of being celebrated, uh, you know, being called Papa (laughs) and, and, uh, you know, being called Pastor. But let it be that it's a genuine call of God. Uh, So we see a lot of people running towards it. And I see, I ask myself, do they understand what they are running to? Because we are dealing with a real devil out there. This is not a parade of shoes and suits. <laughs> Those ones are not the ones doing the thing. The, the church is, is handled in the spirit. Moses had to go up the mount regularly and come down. Jesus had to wake up a great while before day. There are things you need to move, there are all tests you need to tear down. The people won't move until the heavens are released. It's your duty, it's on your shoulders. You are dealing with territorial spirits. You are dealing with entities of darkness. And this thing is not luck and it's not fun. So it's I believe it is lack of understanding and lack of proper teaching by the church. Of course, there will be a genuine pastor who may be teaching this, but others will think, oh, because he has become a pastor, he doesn't want you to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the difficulty of a pastor is the possibility of conflict of interest where it's being falsely accused of conflict of interest because you are genuinely advising someone that i don't think you are well carved out for this and he's thinking because you are already there you don't want us to come there so you are sitting on my ministry i ask myself what is your ministry did the lord tell you that your ministry is to found another church of all you know your ministry is within the church but if you allow yourself to grow within you find it within the system where god wants you to be so proper discipleship that the church have to you know teach people about ministry about the callings of god i think that's what we need to do Um, and then we don't look at things from because i'm seeing this person because there are certain people you see and all the glamour you see let me share my heart with you some of them (laughs) they are not god it's not god at all There are some big things you are seeing around. It's not God. It has moved away from God. It's more man. It's trying to become like the world. It's about status. But this thing is about the lives of souls. And so let's understand ministry. And I think people won't understand until the church and pastors begin to teach the nature of the calling of god the nature of ministry and then mentor people properly into the ministry rather than just seeing that. look at this look at this facebook internet all those things they are nice but i'm telling you <laughs> that's not ministry
0: <laughs> amen thank you very much papa mm-hmm. so ministry is not about the glamour it's about waiting on the lord to be empowered to move the people. Mm. And before you put on the suit, you must be properly suited in the spirit Amen. because this is a real war. It's a real battle. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Papa. You're um, We are still in ministry. Yes. What steps do you need to take in order to fulfill your purpose alongside prayer? Is there... So there's a second part of the question. Is there an overall purpose... Or is purpose seasonal?
1: Okay. Um, what steps would you take to to fulfill your
0: purpose? Purpose, apart from prayer. Apart from prayer. Yes, okay.
1: please. So we, we all assume we have prayed. Prayer is always indispensable because it is within the prayer that you will find purpose within the purpose. So we can't take out prayer. So prayer is a daily constant thing that you do. And there are levels of prayer. So let me talk briefly on prayer, then we, we answer but Yes, I know sometimes we easily say, oh, I know he's going to say prayer, but yes, not the prayer that you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a way that a senior pastor prays, which is not what the congregation prays. There are depths and levels of prayer when you are dealing with purpose from God. Zechariah and the people were praying at the same time. Luke chapter one, they were praying at the same time, but they were praying at different places in the spirit. Those praying at the outer court and one praying inside. One is praying by the altar of incense. Others are standing outside, but they were standing on the same ground and they were praying at the same time. And the length of time was the same, but their experiences were different. So there are depths that you can go to God. We can pray. We all pray the normal prayer. We all pray at 5 a.m. and 12 and 6 or 7. But in between that, pastor then prays another level of intercession seeking the mind of god for the purpose of god and how to fulfill that purpose within his will not your will so back to so prayer is fine it's indispensable we, we know there are depths in addition to to prayer um there is there must be the purpose of god that main purpose of god if there are purpose of god for the church Or purpose of god within this season because they are also within the overall purpose they are also faces within the purpose Mm -hmm. so there is something that god may want us to do during this year of that purpose and sometimes the year may be maybe five years within that purpose god wants to achieve something with us Um, so we may have to write things down we can't receive vision and direction and not write it down the scripture says write it down Mm -hmm. god knows us he can't stay in our heads forever we have to write it down then we will run with it when we see it Uh, in giving us his law he wrote it in stone so we need to make sure that we are writing it down as well and then there are also methods and strategies god is a strategist Uh, in his plan to save the world his, his son only did not come There were also plans within the plan. The ultimate goal is the cross. Mm -hmm. But between the cross and heaven, there were plans. Timing of his birth. Which woman will carry him? Where he will grow up? Where he will go for refuge and come back? Mm -hmm. And then how to pick the twelve. All that, again, that's why I say prayer is indispensable. Even though he's the son of God, he did not choose the 12 until he had gone to an all night of prayer again. That face, when we got to that face within the purpose, he went to an all night prayer meeting, came back and picked 12 out of thousands following him. Faces. So in terms of personnel, who to work with, etc., we need to seek God, but then we also, then he trained them. So training becomes part of the purpose within the purpose so we can't say god has called us this is the purpose the achievement of the purpose now moves into putting the vision down in writing strategizing thinking through and some of them god will inspire the kind of people that you work with he had to pray he had thousands to to do that after that he trained them sent some of them to go and try it out come back organization it's very very important god is a great organizer and if you look at jesus he had a team his ministry was not just because he's Jesus. You'll find out that between that and the cross, there was structure. As I always say, when some people were coming to look for Jesus, they had to go through Philip. And so as if he is the chief of staff of Jesus' uh, ministry, and, and every senior pastor would need someone like that. He's the chief of staff. You can't go through Jesus until you have passed through him. They all came. And in fact, we, we can see there was a treasurer there but it tells you the organizational structure even of jesus of of nazareth there was a treasurer but when he needed to ask about what do we have in the coffers to take care of these thousands i'm seeing he spoke again to philip not peter not james not john they've got their unique roles within the team but anytime it goes to do with administration and management and access Christ always had consulted philip first and when some people wanted the greeks came for instance that's one another example the bible said the greeks came and they went to philip and said sir we want to see jesus i think they could have gone to anybody so peter and john and james had their own they were in a circle but you realize that their function is also totally different they are never consulted as to whether mm-hmm. you know but though there was a treasurer philip immediately was able to say oh we have got two denarii in the account i mean how is he abreast with that sort of like administration was there and he knew what was taking place there so you find this whole setup of jesus's ministry and that goes on to before he left to heaven that there was an order in place there was a structure that the church will be built on so the spirit of god does not work in a vacuum whatever the purpose is if it is ministry it follows this same pattern there have to be attending to organizational structures within structure is key the spirit of god will work within a structure and so when we pray it's not just praying we are supposed to receive certain strategic information we have to also build a personnel to work with because you can't work alone jesus did not work alone he had a team he's carrying the vision but you have to put it in others who will run with it and you must spend time to train them So it's quite a lot of things to to put there. but So there's a practical aspect of it as we pray.
0: Amen. Thank you, Papa. So you have to pray, and it's not just the prayer over food. (laughs) There are different levels and depths of prayer. And after you've prayed, you have to make sure that you have written the purpose and the vision down. And you must also have strategies and methods for training, for organization, for structure, for order. And then God brings the increase. That's right. Amen. 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 Moving on. (laughs) We are still on ministry Um, and purpose. So the question says, is your purpose directly linked to the church you go to? Or are you able to fulfill your purpose in in any church?
1: Okay. Now, what we need to clarify is what this purpose is about this purpose is it ministry purpose because we all have got two forms of of purpose either career purpose and ministry purpose so when this question is being asked is it being asked in the context of ministry purpose yes if it is in the context of ministry purpose i think that's one of the reasons why god established the local church is for our ministries to develop within the local church and fulfill their purpose within the local church in the context of the wider body of Christ. Um, so, we've got different levels of callings. Um, there, are, there are others who carry an apostolic calling, that they are not. Only, they are called to the body of Christ. You see, so uh, some of us we are not only called to the church, but we are called to the wider body of Christ. That, that's a different calling assignment and anointing but in the vast majority of cases it is within the ministry because that you see the ministry may look ordinary but it is a mysterious platform that raises and activates the callings of god people don't know that this they are even going to be used in church until they attend a particular church <laughs> let's say christ church there are people who are leaders today that may have been in other churches before but it is when they got here that they realize, oh really you know this is there how could how could this man bring this out of me that is mysterious that's strange i, mean, I never thought myself i'll be a pastor never thought that i'll be you know people say this like that i, I never thought i'll be a deacon i don't even think i will ever stand before people and be teaching the word and how is it i'm able to do this so it looks when others hear you or people who knew you before they may be classmates or family members they wonder why did you know this you know because something in that church has released that. Original plan of God for your life, so it is most of the time carried out within that local church. If it has to be outside, it has to be by prophetic leading. You know, and just not because I don't like my pastor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, these things are callings of God. So, in the vast majority of the cases, it is we fulfill that purpose within the reason why sometimes people feel like let me jump out of here etc is because you have not really known the purpose because you, you are fantasizing you are assuming you are thinking i think i'm gifted this way and i'm better here and they are not keeping me here, so i'm going the other way now you may not be called to where you are going you know because you you even don't know what it is and that's why you will get there and try to carry yourself that way until after some time they realize that no you are becoming over becoming here and then you also become unhappy with them say these people they are they don't understand the call of god and i jump to the other side no it's because you yourself don't know what you have been called to do but most of the time it is within that place that we fulfill it in many many ways
0: amen so our purposes are most of the time linked to the local church in which we are so i have a question papa yes Um, you know how you said that your purpose is within the local church right and we know that within the body of christ we have different churches Mm -hmm. and different settings Mm -hmm. is there can there be um an instance where according to the purposes of christ you are called to church a to do activity a for five years Mm -hmm. and then you are then called to church b to do either the same activity or a different activity or when you are called to a church do you remain in the church for the greater duration of the time
1: um in the when we look into the scriptures we find that we don't see what we now see today Uh, it's still one church different branches Mm -hmm. many areas because there are so many things to still be fulfilled you know, sometimes when people say this, you you find out that okay, with all the pressure they put you go, you realize that they've gone and they are not doing anything so significantly different from where they were. Yeah. So you ask yourself, what was the purpose you were talking about? If it's God, we should see bigger things by now. And we don't see it, you know. There's nothing, it's so it's the same that you were doing here that you felt probably you have something to do with someone. So that's a different matter. I believe that it is in one place however there could be a time where god may say something and that is why i always say that have to be confirmed that may have to be prophetic and when it is really god when you move we should there should be there should be a tangible thing going on on the other side not something mediocre Mm. then otherwise it wasn't him because he doesn't move to maintain the status quo you know when he moses was with jethro jethro was a priest when god called moses to another thing it was higher than this anytime he has moved someone from a place it was higher paul thought he was serving god and he was therefore very zealous for the faith of the mosaic law and judaism and then god called him out of that into his church proper we all know the impact two-thirds of holy scripture when he was in the mosaic religion there was scripture already mm-hmm. he could not even write one when he moved into church proper you will see the manifestation of power a higher dimension that god does not call us to move and be the same if he really really was calling you and that is something that we have to check you know because every time people cause god is calling you god says, i should leave here after you leave i watch and i can't see anything bigger can't see anything significant and i asked myself what was what was driving you is it personal ambition that you are calling as god you know so that we don't make god look like a subject of mockery Mm -hmm. to those who will be observing this and say everybody said god called them i don't see to see anything bigger or that can tell the hand of god is now doing this because he moved you from here for this purpose Mm -hmm. when paul and the others were all in antioch they were all operating fine when he came to call Paul and Barnabas out we saw the impact the planting of churches several of them the impact was great so you you see it wasn't the same anytime he calls and moves genuinely if it is him we will see that is him but in most of the cases you find out it is more of personal ambitions that have been you know wedded as if it is God and it is not but i believe that in most cases it is within the house of god that same local church which can go into many things and in rare cases we are called out and when we are called out the evidence must be there
0: thank you very much papa so yes most of the time our calling is within the local church but god can speak and he can move you out of the local church and to be sure that it is not your own voice you are hearing there has to be confirmation and the seeds and the fruits must follow amen
1: let me add one more thing there are certain types of callings you know for instance uh, let's say it's a it's a unique marriage ministry marriage counseling ministry it's it's serving its role within the church it's just because you see we most people get frustrated because the system don't create the, the capacity you know but the, every ministry you see, it can be created within the church. You know, it can, if it's a marriage ministry, we create a platform for it, and so it deals with a lot—not only premarital counseling and all that—but you know, major programs that is dealing with this, and and it's it's wide. Then there are times that you may be dealing with the rest of the body of Christ because other ministries, like my very childhood friend, uh, in the Church of Pentecost is doing very well in that area of ministry in terms of marriage and home ministry etc i mean we we were playmates and children and we still communicate not long ago we're on the phone with each other but the point is that he's until he stepped down from the position he was in the church of pentecost he he's called by many other churches but his primary ministry is within the church still you know so being called to go and speak to Uh, at the marriage conference at the presbyterian church it's not the same as i have moved out of Mm -hmm. church of pentecost and i'm now at presby no it's you may receive invitations and most of the time may be still subject to what your home has is there a room Mm -hmm. that your leadership okay i think it doesn't conflict with your role here so you could go and do that Mm -hmm. okay you can't honor this one because the main house needs you for this but those ones are for the body of christ and that is totally different from you know other things because every other thing can be within and it's just the expansion that needs to the platform is what most churches don't create and sometimes it leads to some of these uh, things where people feel like i'm not able to express it here mm-hmm. etc but what is god saying you know what is god saying
0: um, yeah um how so <laughs> You said that every calling can be accommodated within the church. Right. How do you distinguish between a calling and a desire to do something? And how do you then, if you have a desire to do something in church, for instance, how do you then find out if that is indeed a calling or it's something that you just want to do? And is it right to do something because you've you have a desire for it although you haven't really had a calling for that
1: that's a very good question um in practice most people discover their calling by doing what they desire to do and then they find out that it has become a ministry Mm. so sometimes it is not really black and white that i'm going to receive a calling from god or an anointing for something But sometimes it starts off and then God finds you faithful and then dispatches an anointing for that. And then you begin to carry it through and it becomes a whole ministry out of which other ministries grow. So our overriding passion in the practice of ministry is to actually start serving God where we are and gradually it grows. Some people have got unique protocol ministry, but it didn't start off like that as a calling. It is started. Oh, I want to join the ushers and I joined. But then realize every point of the way, some concepts and ideas and things are coming. It's like, but I didn't know this before. Where is this coming from? Okay, you keep on building it, keep building it, keep on building. It. And then over time, it feels like this doesn't look ordinary anymore. It feels like there is a grace now being released for that. You see, God said, I have found David, my servant. I found him. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. So David was faithful, following his father taking care of the sheep and all of those things then god found him faithful and then placed the anointing so the process has always been god found peter then come along then function is imparted. so they came zealous they will become features of men but progressively realize that something else is building and then the anointing falls so there are others who from scratch they can tell or pastor may come sometimes you may not know but pastor your pastor may come and say this is the area for you stay there and then gradually it builds up i've seen people you know move into unique marriage ministries and it started like that you know, it was like i just i just feel like counseling one or two people are reading this okay give it a go okay counsel this one let me see come and join me do counseling let me see you know so you are observing you're observing gradually it feels like this thing is there you know and it can be it can be built upon so there are many many things that start off like that there are people who lead choir and when they started they are like no i don't think i can even sing and then gradually it's becoming you realize no this is a calling but previously it wasn't there so not everybody will see their calling as calling as we are calling it now you know it didn't start off like that i didn't know what was happening to me i was just zealous for god and preaching the gospel as i always said. go to funerals that i'm not invited so i can <laughs> share tracks and, and things like that but then god finds you faithful and begins to pour his anointing and gradually it 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 becomes a ministry so let's not be looking out for until i hear a call because sometimes you may not hear anything Mm -hmm. sometimes it may be your pastor just comes and say start do this and it's like i don't think i i I love the whole thing but gradually you start it faithfully faithfully before you realize it is becoming a calling so we don't want to put god in a straight jacket to say this is how i'm able to apart from all of this there's also the classical means by which he comes in dreams visions and in prophetic utterances to say to us this is it even sometimes people receive a prophecy and they don't look anything like it but you must start somewhere start serving god somewhere that's where it starts
0: amen amen thank you papa so not everyone gets the calling as we 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 think it is and most people discover their calling by doing the things that they desire and love in the house of god so don't just sit there and wait to hear god say go into this department or go into that department start to serve the lord where you are and where you find yourself
1: let me let me add one more thing um, in terms of because it's something that sometimes bothers young people or even people in ministry. That's why I says start somewhere. And also, don't program your mind that Bishop said God spoke to him this way, so God is going to speak to me that way. He doesn't speak to all of us in the same way. Um, Moses was a prophet, he had to see a burning bush, he had to turn, put his rod down, it changed into a snake because of the kind of assignment he's been given and what he was overwhelmed by jeremiah was a prophet he didn't need to throw any rod down or anything he too he cried said i'm a child god told him if you do that i will embarrass you before the people hurry up and take the call amos was a farmer there was no sign of anything but it didn't make him less of a prophet so when we look into the scriptures you find all these people receive different levels of calling but they are called so that is the reason why i mean when david was called we all knew that only samuel was told go to the house pour oil and me who became later on as we examine david we realize a unique anointing is on him three levels of anointing the anointing of a king that of a prophet and that of a priest all the three were in him you can't see that in him as a shepherd somewhere along the line that began to kick in and so we all start from somewhere you know that is why some of the things we do in church i could do them because as we were growing up we served everywhere We've ushered before. We have been the choir. We have been sacked from the choir before. We, because <laughs> they said my voice is prayer. Pastor came and sacked me from the choir rehearsal. He said, "What are you doing here?" I've he joined the choir. He said, "Get out of here. Go and pray." Uh, where I went to pray, not knowing that is where the thing is. But he didn't say, "I sense there's a prayer anointing on you." He just came to the rehearsal. And sometimes senior pastor goes to the rehearsal and observe things. People know why he's doing. Then suddenly that they have been rehearsed. I've been going to rehearsal for three weeks. The pastor of the, of the choir didn't have a problem with me. All the people there, me too, I joined them and I'm singing. On this very faithful day, senior pastor comes. He looks on the stage, say, "Who is there? What are you doing here?" Say, "I've joined the choir." Get out of here! Get out of here! Who allowed him? Go and pray. This voice doesn't sing. This voice prays. That's what he said. I went to join prayer. Uh, if I look back, the rest is history. There is a prayer anointing on me but it didn't appear to be that he may have seen it but even the way he did it may look embarrassing but that was uh, that was really directing you to your your place so don't be looking out for a burning bush um or like ezekiel and all those god will talk to all of us differently we have all shared our past when people hold oil i always remember me when I'm laying hands and people are having oil around, I've done it to my, with my pastors. And I wasn't then pastor. I wasn't, I was just Brother James. You know, we are just zealous for God. We've carried equipment on our head. We have done setup. all those things we've done them, But it's, we never knew what was going on. We are just zealous to serve God. And then God finds you faithful. I have found David. I have found. And with my holy oil, have I anointed him
0: amen amen thank you papa please we have a lot of questions we will not be able to go through all uh, of them that's about 10 more minutes okay so i have one question here and then i've seen one on youtube at least i would like to take those two okay, before we go. okay. so the the other ministry question i have mm-hmm. um it says in ministry mm-hmm. have you ever felt unappreciated or undervalued and is it wrong to feel unappreciated seeing as the work is unto god
1: um yes i felt unappreciated and undervalued Um, but the way to deal with it your humanity will feel the pain that you have sacrificed for people who don't seem to see the sacrifice Um, but we console ourselves that if it wasn't god who called us you will not be in this situation where you may uh, be disrespected, uh, dishonored, and unappreciated. Uh, Sometimes people don't know what lengths you went to even pay them a visit. You know, Samuel told Saul, wait till I come. And Samuel came late. I've always said to people, did you know that whilst he was on his way, It is possible that someone was sick and so he had to pray. And whilst he was on the way again, another woman comes out and had an issue and he had to deal with it. So even though he said, wait for me, he got there late, not because he wanted to be late. You know, sometimes you have felt that way because the people who show the lack of appreciation or disrespect or dishonor, you have been there for them you have sacrificed, you have been available, you have poured, they, you, they don't even have an idea that you are. The, they are the reason why you have not probably slept for some time and that God has been waking you up to pray for them. Um, and when you showed up in their homes, there were thousand things you could have been doing, which really you have to sacrifice all and make yourself available. So when it's, it's treated that way, you know you look at it but then you encourage yourself that it is the calling of god and so he knows how to uh, deal with it Mm -hmm. and as a man of god you have to be conversant with the scriptures so that out of the scriptures you find comfort and so you also tell yourself that well your master was not given a crown of roses but a crown of thorns Um, and he wasn't appreciated when he got to nazareth And that's why he used the same proverb at them to say a prophet is not honored except you know in his own home Um, a a prophet is not honored it's not accepted in his own home but the rest of society may accept him in fact john uh, 7 and 8 that we read uh, talks about the fact that his brothers came to him and told him why don't you go and the scripture very clearly said neither did his brothers believe in him So sometimes it can hurt, um, but you don't let that wear you down. You just have to tell yourself that you were called by God for this assignment, and you grow quickly to understand it is part of the occupational hazards Mm -hmm. of the ministry. Indeed, another scripture that encourages me is Jesus Himself said, Woe unto you if all men praise you, for this is what they did to the prophets that were before you. So you should not do ministry with a mindset that you'll be liked by everybody or that you'll be appreciated by everybody not everybody is able to see value in certain things um, and so when you see that you don't let it discourage you otherwise you will stifle your ministry because it will happen time and time again and you'll be wondering they couldn't see that i sacrificed for them they couldn't see i sacrificed time with my children to be with them they couldn't see that all the time i'm training them my children were not by me and if i'm standing for five hours to teach every weekend to train leaders to put things in them you're not realizing that i'm sacrificing something Now that's a huge sacrifice to just disrespect like that you know so when it happens like that, that's just one example you may feel unappreciated but if you allow that to eat you will not be able to move forward Uh, satan will try to draw your attention to it but you must intentionally fight it off by looking at the bigger picture and said my appreciation comes from god and then you look at the the others who appreciate you and you say to yourself but there's still more who appreciate me than only the few that did not appreciate me use these things to encourage your heart to encourage yourself and then you pursue so that's what i can say that the, the question was double isn't it um, no, that's, it, that's, it was yes, the same yes, okay. yes. right
0: um thank you papa i have
1: one one more yes one add on to oh, that one add on to that before the second question before the oh, second okay. question right. okay so
0: um if you're a leader mm. in in church or even at work mm. and you have people under you um what steps can you do or take to make sure that you also do not undervalue or underappreciate the people who work with you Mm. is there anything that you can do um
1: yes i I believe that um appreciation is a two-way traffic Mm. Um, when you are ahead you would expect to be appreciated even though that should necessarily not be your overriding passion but as humans it's a natural desire a natural crave to be um, appreciated in the same way the people under us also deserve to be appreciated because you know they assist you in making your role work so whether in ministry in a department or in your career you must set the right example in making sure that the people who are helping you people who are assisting you must also be greatly appreciated of course we are not talking about equalization here Uh, we know all the fingers are not the same and and the scripture even talks about ministry that's the those who some are worthy of double honor Uh, but at the same time there must also be encouragement sometimes doesn't need to be something too big but at least create the platform for the acknowledgement of those who um, are assisting you so for instance, maybe let's, let's assume that uh, we are the choir or the protocol, you are the head of protocol ministries or the choir in church or the prayer department. Uh, I, I believe that after every service, you can have a small pep talk with your team and say, we did well today. You know, let's clap for ourselves. And especially you, you did so great. Let's all applaud him. You know, that is the beginning of, of encouragement. And I think that when we teach that, just like David did with his mighty men, he taught them indirectly that you don't touch the anointed of the Lord. So when it got to his turn, when they all had a chance to kill Saul, he wisely taught them not to touch the Lord's anointed. No matter how angry you are with him, Just he's still the Lord's anointed. And no wonder, some years later, when he committed adultery, none of them stoned him. Even though he had mighty men who could just have dealt with him so in the same way you also applaud your team create systems within for little reward systems that really encourage them and i think when it becomes like that it also creates the platform for which you get appreciated as the
0: head thank you very much papa and i will take the last question um that came on um, youtube i hope so... it's not from nancy <laughs> no it's not <laughs> Um, it says that God is light, and Jesus is the light of the world. Mm-hmm. According to Isaiah 14, mm-hmm. Lucifer was the light bringer. To whom was he bringing the light to? Okay. And um, I've looked at Isaiah 14. I f- believe that he might be, the questioner might be referring to verse 12, mm. which says, how you are falling from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. I think other versions have said um, bringer of light mm-hmm. and um, that's the question that came via youtube
1: okay so um, lucifer means light of the morning or bringer of light this was his name whilst he was in heaven and um, it's still his name uh, except that's why paul said that even satan has manifested as an angel of light so he was an angel of light that was his name the name lucifer means light bringer of light he is not the same as the light of the world he was that light he was named that in heaven when he's cast down to the earth he's not a bringer of light but the king of darkness and and when this before he was even thrown down from heaven there was darkness on the earth when god will start the recreation of the earth and I'm using that word because when we read, it looks like something was there before. That is why in verse 1 of Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of creation that we read on did not say there was, I'm not, it didn't, we, we are not told how heaven was created, mm. but then we are told about the earth, that there was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. You know, And if you watch it, it was not the sun. He had already said, Let there be light, and there was a light. Mm -hmm. Then, when he started creation, before he brought the two great lights, one to rule the day and one to rule the night, but there was a light. Then the scripture tells us in John, This is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Jesus Christ is the light. So, Satan is not that light. That was only the name, the meaning of his name. But it doesn't mean that he brings any light into our world and that's why when we become christians jesus also said you are the light of the world we are not satan mm-hmm. you know and you are the salt of the world and you are the light of the world so you see that the context is not the same but the meaning of lucifer is bringer of light or sun of the morning or light of the morning um, i hope i've answered this person's question
0: thank you very much uh, i hope the question has been answered if it hasn't or if you have any uh, follow-on question please send it through to us and we will put it to bishop when we have the time and on this note um i think it's a very good point to say thank you very much papa church helped me to say thank you to bishop uh, we have been on a journey again today yeah. we have gone from polygamy from marriage polygamy Through to ministry, through to practical Christianity, and how to tackle some really hard decisions. And um, Papa has really answered the questions. He has brought understanding to us. And so, Bishop, we want to say thank you once again. It's get understanding. I mean, there are like um, 20 sermons put in one, and we always learn a lot. So, thank you so very much.